Coming up today on Abounding Grace. I mean, when you don't live with a heightened awareness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you don't live with an expectation that Jesus can return at any moment, that does something to you. It changes the way you think. You, you day by day, don't believe that this world is passing. You do believe that things will get better, and I've seen worse, and you begin to downplay the reality of the days in which we live. And then there's no longer an urgency in your heart, and there's no desire for holiness, and there's no desire for readiness. And I believe it's the neglect of prophecy that has led to so many problems in the church and outside of the church. This is amazing grace. are delighted to be with you today, and we've got a great study in Daniel lined up for you here on Abounding Grace. Have you ever heard someone question the authenticity or reliability of the Bible? How do we really know it's true and indeed God's Word, they say? Well, in a word, prophecy. When you stop to consider nearly one-fourth of the Bible is predictive prophecy, and it's either already been fulfilled or will be one day, it serves as a tremendous confidence booster. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor opens Daniel chapter 8, where the prophet Daniel receives yet another vision, giving us history in advance. Chapter 8, Daniel chapter 8, as we start a new chapter, I've entitled our Bible study, Prophecy is History in Advance. Prophecy is History in Advance. So consider some of these names, Lucifer and Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, King Darius, Cyrus, Alexander the Great. You could even include in there Judas. What could they all possibly have in common? All of them were living in different times and different places, but they all shared something in common, at least in light of our time today and they're zeroing in on this chapter of the Bible. They all shared in common this thought that they could outsmart God that they were smarter than him. They thought that their way was better than God's way, as it was clearly revealed to them. They thought that they could get away with their rebellion. They thought that they could get away with their disobedience, not only against God, but against his word and what he said. And they were all wrong. And I believe with the exception of Nebuchadnezzar, it appears to us that all of this lifetime mistakes that they made were fatal, both physically and spiritually. It seems that only Nebuchadnezzar recognized the error of his way and repented. You see, God is able with precise accuracy to predict the future. God in his omniscience knows all things. And it makes sense that if you knew all things, that you could predict something that hasn't happened yet. There's nothing that God doesn't know. And since he knows all things, he's able to predict with 100% accuracy what will happen in the future. He's always right, he's always on target, and he can be trusted all the time. His word, the Bible, is so reliable that we can look back and see it. 
You can jot it down in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. It says, Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. There isn't one promise that has failed. Not one promise. And to me, that's comforting. I hope it's comforting to you. To know that God's word stands fast. And, and you have to think about it in the perspective of who we are and where we are. I mean, here we are in this room, on this little corner of Hampton and Biscay, in Aurora, in Colorado, in the United States, on the North American continent, on this planet, in this solar system, with a Bible open on our laps that we read and mark, that we receive and obey, God's written word just for you and me, in a language that we can understand and act upon. That we know it, as Jesus taught us, that there isn't one thing, not, one, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until heaven and earth disappear. Or like in Psalm 119, verse 89, your eternal word, O God, stands firm. Or in the New King James, is settled in heaven. And how do we know that this book is true? Why should we trust it? We've spent considerable amount of time in other Bible studies looking at the various evidences that we have that the English translation that we have is accurate to the manuscripts and manuscripts accurate to the original autographs, which we believe to be inspired by God. And we can answer a lot of questions. I'm not afraid of that question. I'm not afraid of the question that says, I recently received an email from a young man that's in college. He goes, well, you know, with all the hundred uh, translations out there and they have this difference and they have difference, how can you trust the Bible? Well, of all the differences and all the things that we could go in on detail of how to trust, and by the way, I wouldn't trust every single translation. We would want to trust those translations that are accurate and close to the original or to the manuscripts that are accurate and close to the transcripts. So not every translation is one that I would recommend. But how can we trust a Bible with a recommended translation? We can answer that hundred different ways, but today I just want to offer to you this. I trust the Bible because of its prophecy. Prophecy is an amazing evidence to the trustworthy of God, trustworthiness of God's Word. It's so important. It is a key piece of understanding the Bible and understanding the times in which we live. There will be times as a church family in our commitment to prophecy and to the prophetic Word that we'll be accused of being obsessed with prophecy. I'm not obsessed with prophecy, if anyone would ever say that. Well, you know, Calvary Chapel, and Ed, they're just obsessed with prophecy. I'm actually not obsessed with prophecy. I'm obsessed with the God that spoke forth prophecy. I'm obsessed with the word that he's given to me. And any serious student of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, has to deal with prophecy. Because prophecy is a large part of the word of God. As you consider Revelation, most of Revelation is still yet to come to pass. It is prophetic in nature. It's known as apocalyptic literature, speaking forth things that will happen in the future. And over a fourth of the Bible, and some people have higher numbers than even a fourth, but over a quarter of the Bible, or one out of every four verses is dealing with predictive prophecy. And I believe that it's the neglect of prophecy 
partly that has produced so many problems in the church. I mean, when you don't live with a heightened awareness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you don't live with an expectation that Jesus can return at any moment, that does something to you. It changes the way you think. You, you day by day, don't believe that this world is passing. You do believe that things will get better, and I've seen worse, and you begin to downplay the reality of the days in which we live. And then there's no longer an urgency in your heart, and there's no desire for holiness, and there's no desire for readiness. And I believe it's the neglect of prophecy that has led to so many problems in the church and outside of the church. So if you're going to study the Bible, and you're going to teach the Bible, you're going to spend a lot of time speaking about prophecy in its context. Really, this is the only holy book that attempts to do this, that dares to do it. No other religious writings dare to jump into the arena of prophecy with such startling clarity and pinpoint accuracy. You'll recall, hold your place in Daniel. I know we'll get to chapter 8, but I want to lay a foundation for our upcoming studies here. Turn over to Luke's gospel, would you, in chapter 4? How important is prophecy? Well, I suggest to you a careful study of the life of our Savior and our mentor and our leader and our master and our pastor and our shepherd, everything that Jesus is to us, I suggest to you that the very first message that he shares in his public ministry that's recorded for us was prophetic in nature. Notice with me in Luke chapter 4, pick up with me in verse 16. Luke chapter 4 in verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. You Bible students, you recognize that this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 61. When Isaiah wrote chapter 61, it was prophetic in nature. He was writing what's known as a messianic prophecy of what would happen when Messiah came and the purpose of Messiah, one of the purposes. So Jesus, he comes to Nazareth. Those of you that go to Israel with us, we will be in the city of Nazareth. We will actually visit a place known as Nazareth Village. And it, it, is, a, it is a laid out area that, you know, on the YMCA property there that we'll walk through and they'll kind of give us a feel of what it would have been like during the time of Jesus. It's a really cool visit. So we'll be in Nazareth in the literal area. Jesus comes in, it's where he grew up. He was handed the scroll in the synagogue and he, it, the day that it was there, the scroll of Isaiah was where they were reading and he, write, he reads to them, verses 18 and 19, he reads to them what Isaiah wrote prophetically. Now check this out, verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue looked in, at him intently. And he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. As Jesus starts out his public ministry, he shows to everyone what was said about me prophetically is fulfilled right now in your eyes. <laughs> to me, that's super powerful. 
like all that you have won, everything you are expecting, the hope of Messiah, this is being fulfilled. It is fulfilled right now in your eyes. It's just plain exciting to see God in this light. Now, some of you, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands, but some of you were alive in 1948. And you witnessed with your own eyes the rebirth of the nation of Israel. I don't know if you were excited about it, but I hope you were. I'm going to ask for hands. Was anyone in here alive in 1948? Okay, just want to make sure. So there are a few. Do you remember when Israel became a nation? Anybody remember? Any other hands? Any, you were four years old. Did you watch it? Did you see it? Did you hear about it? Did they call you in and say, Vicky, you can't believe what's happening. Four years old. Okay, so 1948 would make a lot of kiddos. So as a kiddo, you were alive during the time of prophecy being fulfilled. It's exciting times to know that what God says will come to pass. What God says will come to pass. And some are skeptical. and go, wait a minute. I've been waiting for so many things to come to pass. You can bank on, you can trust on the reliable God like it has happened in the past in his perfect timing, it will happen again. God who is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, he steps outside of time and space. He declares specific predictions and events that will not happen for hundreds of years. Any and every prediction in the Bible will come to pass perfectly. And today we come to a section of Daniel where he has another dream. Now we are able to look back with clarity on these dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel because they looked forward to coming kingdoms at the time that they had them. Now many things have come to pass, and of what they've seen, there's only one kingdom that hasn't come to pass yet, and that's that revived Roman Empire that are of the feet and the toes and the horns that we've been learning about. That hasn't happened, but all the rest have happened. And Daniel in chapter 8 has yet another dream. It's actually the second of his four visions recorded in Daniel. And he sees four kingdoms coming and looking forward all the way into the future. Last time, the dream including, included four coming kingdoms. And while this one, we're going to gain greater insight on two of those four. And so as you're reading through, hopefully you're reading ahead, getting ready for the next study that we're in. That's one of the advantages of going through the Bible verse by verse. When we finish a section, you know you can read the next section and we'll be there eventually. And you can read ahead. So maybe some of you read ahead in chapter 8 and you're like, man, another dream. Can we just skip through? We understand the Medes and Persians, Greece. We get it. You've explained it. Why another dream? Are we really going to study them? I mean, we got it from Nebuchadnezzar. Now this is the second one from Daniel. And all these beasts and animals, isn't that enough? Well, I want to introduce you to a, a teaching tool that is very important that God himself uses over and over again. And I bet you do too. It's the teaching tool known as repetition. Repetition is a very important tool that God uses in his word. And you can be sure as limited space that God had in his word, anything that's repeated is very important. Anything that's repeated over and over again is super important. So these visions and these dreams, I believe, is God's desire in us to pound the, the uh, nail down and to pound the point home that what God says about future kingdoms, as we look back and go, oh yes, Babylonian kingdom, there's evidence for that. Oh yes, the Medo-Persians, there's evidence for that. Oh yes, then the Greeks, Greeks came in, there's evidence for that. Oh, and then the Romans overtook the Greeks but kept the culture. There's evidence for that. Oh, then there's that last kingdom that hasn't happened yet. 
And you have evidence, 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 and now you're waiting for something to happen. And you're tested and tempted. Oh, that's not going to happen. Oh, didn't it happen with Babylon? Didn't it happen with the Medo-Persians? Didn't it happen with Greece? Didn't it happen with Rome? What was the prevailing ruling entity at the time of the first coming of Jesus Christ? Rome. Rome was ruling the world. And I believe it was the Romans that God had sovereignly ordained to be in power, not only because they would use crucifixion to kill Jesus to fulfill prophecy, that that would be the mechanism, but also the Romans kept the Greek culture, which was what? A common world language, the Koine Greek, the common everyday Greek. It wasn't the fanciful Greek because there's a higher level of Greek. There was a, a level of Greek that everybody spoke, the Koine Greek, and that was the known language of the world at the time. And they also did something that was fascinating that helped spread the gospel very, very rapidly. It's known, well, a couple things. Number one was the Roman road system. They built roads everywhere to get everywhere. And, and they believed that transportation was very important. And they also had something known as Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Although it was enforced, there was a relative peace around the world. And God knew at the time that Rome overseeing the world would be very significant. But not only that, like we kind of look back and we can see those things, but God predicted it hundreds of years, in some cases thousands of years before we, we could even ever think such a thing would exist. And so let me give you a few things about repeti repetition and we'll jump into the text. We're only going to cover a few verses today. Again, I want to lay a foundation for us. Why is repetition so important in the Bible? Why is it a great teacher? Number one, repetition is a great teacher. Repetition is a great teacher. Repetition is a great teacher. Repetition is what? How did you learn that? <laughs> Just saying it a couple of times. Repetition is a great teacher. When you hear something again and again, over and over, it comes back to you quicker. You get a handle on it. It's one of the things that the more you're in the Word of God, the more you remember it. And oftentimes I'll ask someone, do you, do you have a life verse? Have you memorized it? And sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. And they'll, most often they'll say, I know it, I just forgot the address. Well, what's more important, knowing the Word or remembering the address? <laughs> knowing the Word. And how do you know the Word? Because of repetition. And repetition's a great teacher. Number two, I believe God uses repetition because it's God's great teacher. It's God's tool. Throughout the Bible, God chooses inspired. Remember, the author of the Bible is God. He used human, humans to jot down his inspiration. But the author of the Bible is God. And he over and over repeats and repeats and repeats so that we'll learn We'll act, we'll learn, we'll act, we'll learn, and we'll act. People get frustrated in Bible study over a long period of time when they hear the same thing over and over again. And it's not always the mistake or the purpose of the pastor to repeat. If you are here and you hear the same thing over and over again, I wouldn't be too discouraged because you could be any part of the Bible and hear the same thing over and over again. You could be in any part of the Bible and because you're dealing with something in your life, you're hearing the Bible through the filter of God wanting to get your attention on that area. 
wanting to get your repentance, wanting to get your action, wanting to get you, you to be softened or humbled. Like, so you could be studying Revelation and you hear humility. You could be studying Genesis and you hear humility. You could be studying Daniel and you hear humility. Even though the pastors never mention it, humility is the theme because that's what God wants to get into your heart. And repetition is the way God reminds us. The Bible the Bible, there are challenging times, challenging verses, like in Daniel, it takes a little bit of study. But most of the Bible is pretty easy to understand. God's heart for you, his desire for you, his heart for you in the old covenant and how he dealt with the people in, in the old covenant and now how he deals with us in the new covenant through his gracious love. It's always, it's much of the Bible is easy to understand. A simple reading will give you enough to act on. And then thirdly, not only is repetition a great teacher, not only too is repetition God's great teacher, but thirdly, repetition feeds a serious student. Repetition feeds a serious student. Daniel was a serious student of God's word. You'll find when you get to chapter 9, chapter 9 opens up with Daniel reading the writings of Jeremiah. He was a student of the word. And so he sought wisdom and clarity on these visions and dreams. It wasn't just enough to have them. He wanted to know what they meant and how they applied. It wasn't enough. He wanted the interpretation. And you can jot it down in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. It says, it is God's privilege to, to conceal things, but it's the king's privilege to discover them. And we have the privilege of discovering God and what he wants to say to us in his word. And so God enjoys the full capacity of all wisdom and understanding, and we don't. And we seek that through his word. We all wish we knew more than we know. But how bad? How bad do you really want to know the heart of God? How bad do you really want to follow? Like sometimes you cover, you cover the fact that you have no desire for the deeper things of God because you lean on your own understanding. And you're able to cover it because you know a little bit more of the Bible than the person next to you. So you're able to cover that you just keep repeating the same old thing over and over again. And you haven't really grown in learning the, the more about the character and nature of God. But you, you kind of have a, you know, and every pastor's tempted with this too, where they have hobby horses and they just, keep staying, they just keep staying on the same thing over and over again. Listen, will you take time to study God's word? Those listening on the radio, will you take the time now, I know having it on the radio is better than other things you could have on the radio, but it's hard to concentrate when you're driving. It's hard to concentrate and say, you know, that, that was a great word, but I need to jot that down. And you can't really take notes while you're driving. I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to do that unless you pull over. But for the sake of those listening at another time, are you putting to your desire the kind of action that will take you deeper into the things of God? seeking clarity and understanding how important it is. Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. The message of the world is try harder and work smarter. You've got it in you. You can do it. But the message of the Bible is something entirely different. 
In essence, we're told, stop striving and being self-sufficient, but rather land in the arms of a God who loves you and be refreshed by His grace. Dive deep into the riches of God's grace as you read, In the Grip of Grace. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. We want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses too. And that's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we would sure appreciate it. This would be a good time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Ed Taylor is the pastor at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and we invite you to join us online for a service. Whether you live hundreds of miles away, you're out of town on vacation, or sick and can't leave your home, the live stream is always there for you. Go online to calvaryco.church. Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. There's a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Again, we're at calvaryco.church. And then look for online campus. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will resume our series in Daniel on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 